book of First Peter. It's, you know, it's one of those books where you kind of have this idea of who Peter is, right? He's the guy that opens his mouth and says whatever he wants. Um, he's the guy that, that always gets in trouble. He's the guy that is willing to jump headfirst into an issue for Jesus and doesn't always make the wisest decisions. And I know none of us in this room can understand that, right? Because we make solid decisions all the time. We're patient, we're kind, and, and we wait for Jesus to speak to us. So I know that we, we are more like John the Beloved at this church than we are Peter, okay? So I, I'm speaking to your friends and family, okay? I get, that's just, you know. But it's really interesting to look at Peter's life and all that he did and, and kind of the mistakes and the messes and, and all the things that he did. And then you get to his, his writings, which he wrote about 30 years after Jesus uh, died on the cross. So he's got some maturity, He's got some, some time spent in leading people and leading the church. Remember, he was the forefather of, of the New Testament church. He was the first one that stepped up and gave the first salvation message in the book of Acts, and, and over 5,000 people came to know Christ that day. Um, he, he, he had to learn quickly how to lead people. Could you imagine? Just, I mean, imagine with me for a minute. Um, as, as a church, if you're, you, you had 12 people in your church, We'll even go a little bit further. We'll say the 120 in the upper room. That's, that's the first church, right? And then all of a sudden, you go from 120 to 5,000. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we've got. To, like, there's a lot of leadership. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of uh, mishaps and mistakes that are going to happen. And it, it needs a strong core in these, these 11 that kind of took on the, the aspect of leadership. And Peter was at the head of all that. And so then we get to the writings of Peter. Last week, we talked about 1 Peter chapter 1. I encourage you, if you, if you missed it or uh, if you need to go back and refresh, go back to our uh, Spotify, um, our website, Facebook. Uh, all of that has our podcast on there, and it's on there. But this week, we're going we're gonna to look at 1 Peter 2. And as I was studying 1 Peter 2, it kind of broken up into three sections. And, and sometimes it can see like, seem like he kind of jumped all over the, uh, over the place in different topics. But you got to remember, if, or maybe I shouldn't say you got to remember, maybe you never knew this. And, and I don't like to treat people like, like they just know everything about how the Bible was written. But you got to um, think about this. The Bible wasn't written chapter and verse, okay? It was a letter. So, so the Old Testament stuff, had, uh, you know, they were letters, they were, they were, they were storylines from Moses and David and all these other people. The New Testament was actually letters to the church. So you had the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that were written by them, okay? But then you get to, uh, you know, all of these, the Pauline epistles and First Peter and Second Peter and Jude and First John and Second John and Third John. These were all written as letters to the church. So they didn't write First Peter 2, Verse one, they just wrote a letter. It was sometime later that the the church leaders said, hey, how do we help people break this down? How do we give them a better tool to be able to read this? Because you got to remember for a long time, uh, the the European church didn't think that, or the way it was articulated from the leadership was, you couldn't read it. So they kept it in a language that they couldn't read, and they read it to them. But now, when they start getting in their hands, they start writing it, and so they to make it easier, it's chapters and verses. So, 
chapter one, just because it ended and chapter two started, doesn't mean that that's actually how it was written. It was just a letter. And so uh, chapter two kind of takes off where chapter one ended on this whole aspect of holiness, okay? And, and so there's kind of three sections in First Peter chapter two that I want to kind of break down and we're going to talk about and give you a couple of thoughts to carry along the way of what Peter is speaking to us. So the first section that he talks about, it's that carry on over from holiness, but I labeled it this, who you are a part of and called to, who you are a part of and who you're called to. So 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 5, they say this, so, so get, now remember, that word so means that he was talking about something. That's the end of chapter 1. He's talking about holiness. He's talking about what that looks like to live in holiness. So he says, so... With holiness in mind, get rid of all evil behaviors. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices to please God. So here's section one, right? He's saying, listen, with holiness in mind, get rid of these things. Don't don't allow them to attach them to you. Who you once were isn't who you are, and who you are and who you are becoming is to to look like Jesus, your Lord and your Savior. And so I I, I kind of put these little dots, uh, these thoughts next to my first section, which was the first thing that he he mentions to the church is you got to get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's like get rid of what? Anything that doesn't look like Jesus, right? We're to cleanse our life. To, to look more like him. The, the, the whole, I must decrease, he must increase. This isn't monks. This isn't um, being holier than thou. This isn't being better than. But this is saying, I want my life to look a certain way. And if I want my life to look a certain way, then that means there's certain things that I gotta get rid of. Right? And that's what Peter's saying. So get rid of these things. And these things, they don't line up with Jesus. They don't line up with his word. They don't line up with his purpose. And so, you know, it's not an exhaustive list, right? It's, 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 I would say that this list is um, probably things that he cared about or things that he saw in the church at that time that he was writing to. You know, because then you read in Corinthians, there's other things that they kind of add to that list of, you know, lifestyles that don't line up with Jesus. But deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Isn't it interesting that those are the same things that the church today still struggles with? It's like he knew that we would struggle with these things as humanity all the time. That we would have emotions all the time, right? Like, oh, geez, like they made me mad. I get to talk about them. Because our freedoms, right, our freedoms that, that we so gratefully have sometimes can also be the biggest hindrance in living a godly lifestyle. Well, I got the freedom to say whatever I want. You're right, you do. But who is your kingdom? Who, who is the kingdom? Paul says it this way. All things may be lawful for me, but not all things are good for me. I may have the right to say whatever I want about you, but I have to, I, I call it my Holy Spirit filter. 
right? You know, if you're a coffee drinker, you know, very few of you probably, uh, you know, just open up the coffee grounds and, and chew and swallow. Uh, that just sounds nasty to me, right? Now, I know some, you know, stick it in your mouth, get the little, you know, caffeine buzz going. Um, but, but for the most part, normal people put the coffee grounds in, pour water over, filter through, right? And, and, and now, listen, that could open up the whole argument of, you know, the best way to make coffee, uh, French press, and yada, yada, yada. I'm not a coffee guy, so don't even, I, I don't know. I just know that it starts off in, as, as a bean, you ground it down, you put water in it, and hopefully it, hopefully it tastes good at the end of it, okay? So that's all I care about. Um, and so the reality is, is that I've got to filter, just like I filter coffee, just like how many have a filter at their house for water, right? You know, uh, we filter our lives through the Holy Spirit. And so I have to wake up daily and say, is this today, God, I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would filter my thoughts, my heart, and my action through your word and your will so that it would line up with you. Now, I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know that there's going to be days where I make mistakes. There's going to be days where I don't do right, but I want to do my best to, to filter out the things that don't look like Jesus. And the second thing he says in this set of scriptures, he says, cry out for it. It's, it's not good enough to just hope for God to show up in your life. And I think far too often as Christians, we go to church and we, we, we go through the motions, but we get through the rest of the week and it's like, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. These microphones take batteries. At the beginning of every Sunday, at the end of every Sunday, Eric comes up here, and he takes the batteries out, and we, we have chargeable batteries, so he puts them in their chargers, and he plugs them into the wall, okay? If he doesn't do that, if he doesn't recharge these batteries, we do not have the batteries to use for Sunday morning. So many times we get to Sunday morning, and our battery is so drained because we have not charged our spiritual life up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. God's word is there. And it's not like, oh, I have to read hours on end to get God in me. Listen, just a little devotion. Maybe you, listen, the reality is you just listen to what God tells you to do. Sometimes it may be hours on end. Sometimes it may be 20 minutes. Sometimes it may be a podcast while you're driving somewhere. It may be the Bible app reading to you. Whatever it is, we've got to be able to recharge our batteries. I can tell you this. I know when I haven't spent enough time with Jesus because I typically will make mistakes. Me. I'm not talking about generic. I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about me. Like, I can get to the end of the day and go, I know that I did not start my day off right, and I did not spend enough time with Jesus throughout the day because I know that I was making decisions that were of me and not of God. And I, I know myself well enough, I've been a Christian since I was 14, that I know when I'm staying connected and when I'm not. And I can feel that spiritual battery being charged up when I'm close to God. And so we've got to cry out. He says, cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for the word of God. Cry out to grow in Jesus. And the third thing about this set of scriptures is he says, we are the building. And this is, I love this idea, Right? So we get to it, and he says, uh, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Okay, if you never know what, it, if you've never been explained what a cornerstone is, the cornerstone is a stone, especially in, in, in old buildings, that would form the base where the corner would connect. And without that cornerstone, both walls would fall. 
So, so you could have wall A and wall B, but if, if you, all you'd have to do is dig out this, this cornerstone, and literally the, the two walls that were held together would not have the strength to stand and be a good structure. And so here, Peter is explaining to the church, Jesus, he's that cornerstone. He's, he's the stone that, that the world rejected, that God used for high honor. He is the chief cornerstone, but he doesn't stop there. He says, and you're the living stones. You're the stones that, that make up the wall. You're the stones that, that complete the building. Yes, we may need Jesus to be the core aspect of, of the faith. We may need Jesus to be the core aspect of our life. But listen, Christianity is not Christianity unless you play your purpose and part in the kingdom. You have a, you have a role. You, have a, you were designed on purpose. You were born on purpose. And it wasn't just to wake up and go through the motions and do your daily life. It is literally to bring honor to Jesus with everything that you do and, and to give him every aspect of yourself, sacrificial living, to say, I am attaching myself to kingdom purpose. Because, and I'm not, no offense to Brooke, but Brooke may not change the world. She may not. But when Brooke lives within the purpose of the cornerstone, and she does what she is called to do every day, even if it seems boring and mundane at times. Because if you don't have boring, mundane days, you're, you're, you're living way out of the will of God. I believe that mundane is okay. Actually, I would say that, that we find more miracles in the mundane of life because we are truly sitting in the purpose of God, not just trying to run around trying to find the exciting. But we live in that will. And here's the crazy part. is now her purpose is attached to kingdom purpose. And she links arms with other believers. And now we are running together, changing the world as a bigger unit rather than one person. We've got to realize that we are a building. We're not just one little brick running around all by ourselves trying to do something. We're linking arms with the purpose of the kingdom. Christ is our cornerstone, but we are a living stone, not weighed down and dead, but alive with purpose, joy, hope, and love. So if you, if you travel on with me to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, um, this is still in the first section of who you are in a, a called to. He, he, he says, get rid of it, cry out, we are the building. But then he says this, but you, talking to you again, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. If you've ever allowed the enemy to lie to you, that you're not good enough, that you don't have an identity. God's word says that you're chosen, you're royal, you're part of a holy nation, and you're part of God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desire, which wages war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I love this set of scripture because it speaks to who we are and then it speaks to the life that we're supposed to live. You're special. I mean, think about this. There are common things in our life. And then there are special things, okay? Everything, if you have a hobby, if you've collected anything, if, uh, if there are special things that you have. I, I've, you know, in my garage somewhere, um, in a box, okay? 
um, I have baseball cards and football cards. And I have like the common ones that have just, they sit in a box and they're all together. And, and I go back and look at them every now and then. And I go, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I have special ones. They go in a, in a case. They get protected. I, I've, got, I've got, you know, things that I believe one day may actually have, have some value to it. And even if they don't necessarily have money value, they have other value to it. I was talking about uh, uh, to Zion the other day that we were talking about baseball. And I said, yeah, I have a Barry Bonds uh, signed uh, baseball. Um, and it may not be worth nothing because there's a whole lot of controversy, but to me, it's a really cool ball, and it's signed by him. And, and, and there's value, and so what do I do? I have it in a baseball case. My son isn't going to go grab that and play baseball with it. It's just not, not going to happen. We're not going to have a Sandlot issue with, with baby Ruth, okay? It's no, it will not. Um, there, there will be non-existent people in this world. Like Beyonce, I can make another one. But... There's value. And the enemy wants to get you to believe that you have no value. You're just a common person. You're just, Matt, there's, there's a ton of mats in this world. There's just a thousand, probably a bajillion of them. There, more than you, they probably, there's probably mats all in every, every country. What makes you so special? What makes you, and, and this is what the enemy will do. You live in Camden. Like, no. I can tell you nobody knows where this is. I, I can tell you that. Because when I said I'm moving to Camden, Arkansas, they were like, where? And I said, I know. And, and listen, and no hate, but my wife, even like she tells this story. She goes, she goes, I literally forgot that Arkansas was a state. Not me, my wife, okay? So if you're going to get mad, get mad at her, not at me. I knew where Arkansas was, okay? So, um, but, but listen, we... We are told all the time, you're just, you're common. God comes in and he says, you're special. I, I hold you in, in, in dearness because I believe that I've given you a purpose. But you have to accept it and then you have to run with it, right? That's what he says. He's, he says, you are called out of darkness and into light. And, and so we were chosen people. You're chosen. You know, in church, we will say this. We will say, do you choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You don't choose him. He chose you. We accept the offer. We, we choose to follow him. But Jesus is not waiting around going, God, I hope they accept me today. No, he died on a cross. Whether you accept him or not doesn't, doesn't distract from the truth. It doesn't distract from what he did and, and, and the joy and the purpose that he has had in going to the cross and raising again so that we could have life. He is not waiting around going, I hope today's the day. Oh, I hope they accept me. No. He chose you. And, and that should bring this, this, and I hate to use the word arrogance because it's really not, but this, this aspect of I've been chosen by the Father. So who cares what the enemy says? And who cares what so-and-so says? And who cares what my, my co-worker says? And who cares what my family says? I know who I am because I know the God that chose me. And the God that chose me speaks to me. You were chosen. But you weren't just chosen to just be a person. You were chosen for a purpose. Right? The, in this set of scriptures, as he calls you out of darkness into light, and at the end it says, live such good lives. 
those that may accuse you of doing wrong will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. We're to live a life with purpose. And, and every day, I believe that we have opportunities to live that purpose out. And it may be the smallest little thing to the, the, this amazing moment. It may be just, just walking in and, and having a conversation with somebody and ending with, you know what? I want to invite you to church. And, and who knows? That may change their life, which then, then may change somebody else's life that you've never even known because you invited them and they start inviting others. It may be sitting down with somebody who's going through a tough time and praying with them and, and, and helping carrying the burden of their life in prayer. You were designed for a purpose, to go from darkness to light and to shine God's good deeds. And the, the last part of the first section was we got to win the battle. We've got to win the battle, right? Because he says, I urge you as foreigners and ex exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. If you think that you've got an enemy that doesn't care about you, that's a flat out lie. There's an enemy that doesn't care if you go to church, but cares if you look like Christ. The, uh, there's a, there's a hip-hop artist by the name of KB. Um, he has a, a lyric in his song that says, uh, uh, they don't care if you're, there's uh, Christ in your Christmas until they see there's Christ in your Christian. And I love that line. I love that line. Because we want to, matter of fact, we were talking about it before church uh, even so about some of these boycotts, you know, the, everybody's boycotting everybody, everybody's offended, right? Um, and that's cool, whatever, you want to do you, that's, that's, that's your prerogative. But can I tell you just as your pastor where I stand with all that, I don't care. I just, I don't. And, and, and that may make me a bad pastor to say, you know, and I see other pastors and, and I follow a lot of pastors and a lot of them are up in arms and they're asking their church to boycott Target. Okay, well, listen, if you boycott Target, you better boycott Walmart. I'm just going to tell you that right now because they also give to, to organizations we don't like. And if you boycott Walmart, then you better boycott probably Piggly Wiggly. Um, I'm, I'm sure they give to bad places. I mean, they, you know, um, all of them. But here's, here's the thing about boycotting. When we boycott, it's a bunny trail that, does, that doesn't stop, right? It's a bunny trail that does not stop. And as Christians, that means that we get back to this area where we just take our little chair and we get in the corner, and we say, I'm holy and you're not, and I don't want to interact with you because you're going you're gonna to get your unholiness on me. No. Go into Target. Shop to your little heart's desire. Unless you're my wife, then she needs to just stay out of Target. But all of the wives are given permission to go to shop at Target. You, you, you've been given all of it, okay? Take it. Run with the cards. Go. Okay? Because here's what the Scripture says. Jesus says that we're to be in this world, but not of it. So I am not scared by your little pride parade when I walk into Target. I'm just not. I'm not freaking out going, they're going to make me gay. <laughs> ah! If you fear about that, then you've got bigger issues in your Christian walk. Like, can, can I just say, like, if, if you're afraid that, that like, it's going to rub off on you, You've got bigger issues in your spiritual walk. If, if somebody can, can get to you just by having a little thing in a store that you don't ever have to spend your money on or, or because they made a post that you don't agree with, then, then we've got a far bigger issues in our spiritual depth than we could ever dream or imagine. And the reality is 
is that we should be the most loving, caring people to them because they have allowed the enemy to lie to them and still their purpose. And if they don't hear the truth from us and not condemnation, don't you know you're gay and you're going to hell? Thanks. Because that's going to make me love Jesus. That's going to make me fall in love with, with a Savior that all he wants to do is condemn me? Cool, awesome. Oh, don't you know that, that, that doing this is... Because here's the thing. I could nitpick all of us. All of us. I, listen, I'm, I'm good at it. I'll nitpick the heck out of all, including myself. We all have sin. The Bible says that, that those who have, have not sinned, they, they've lied. Only Jesus is perfect. That, that we all have issues that we struggle with, and the goal is to look like Jesus, and so we've got to win the battle of not allowing sin to overtake our life. It does... Sinners are going to sin, newsflash. And, and can I tell you that as a church, and matter of fact, I'm going to pause because it's going to get to, I'm getting too ahead of myself. Let me give you the second uh, thing. It says respecting authority and living in obedience to authority. This is the next section. that, that So Peter dives from living a holy life and not allowing sin uh, to, to overtake our life to he goes straight into let's respect the authority that is given to us. Now, I want to remind you that authority at this time was out to kill a lot of Christians. He was speaking to exiled believers because they were running for their life from a government that was trying to kill them. And Peter stands up and writes in a letter in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials as he, he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. If it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. And we don't like this scripture because it flies in the face of everything we believe in from a cultural standpoint of politics. And, 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 and I'll just say it, we've gotten way worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, no matter what side you're on, liberal, Democrat, Republican, conservative, whatever you want to call yourself, I don't care. We, we have fought the other side. We have fought people. And our, 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 our fight is not against flesh and blood. That's what the Bible says. It's against principalities. And the enemy knows what he's doing by, this, by, by, by separating men and women and churches on politics. The Bible says respect those in authority. Now, before you get mad at me and throw stones and say you're no longer going to be a part of this church, um, let me explain what that means. We got to submit and respect. Obviously, there's a caveat of unless it is unbiblical. So, so if you ever want to know, where's that line, Pastor, where, where, I, don't, where I don't follow the authority of, of the officials in my life when it's unbiblical? But we also don't attack them. We attack the issue. I, uh, we had a baseball game a couple weeks ago where the umpire made a horrendous call. I mean, a horrendous call. And And... Listen, I'm a competitive person. It's, it's everything inside of me, it's like I got to pray twice as hard when I go to, go to a game and coach, okay? Because I need Jesus to take the wheel very badly. Um, because the, the me and me will get in your face. And, and it's not good. 
and, I, and, and, and at the end of this game, our boys were playing hard, and they were, they were fighting hard, and, and, and the, the ump made a horrendous call. And I came flying out of that dugout. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm giving him a once-over. And now listen, I mean, I'm, I'm yelling. My, my voice is raised. I'm getting my point across. At the end of the game, when we got the, uh, the boys all around, I said, I want you to hear something. I was mad, absolutely 100% mad at that call. It was wrong. He was wrong. That call was wrong. It's not even my opinion. He, he was wrong, and he knew it because he knew it. The other umpire knew it, and he, and he wouldn't say anything. But I told him, I said, did I cuss at him? Boys go, no. So did I say anything negative about him? No. So that I, the issue was what I had a problem with. And I let the issue be known. And then when I knew that it wasn't going to change, before I got kicked out, I walked away. Some parents in here may think that I probably was very close to that line. But, um, and, and, I, and listen, I'll even tell you, I even got in the, uh, the parent text thread uh, later that night, and I apologized to them because I want, I want to live with integrity that my kids know that when, when they see me, that I stand up for the wrongs, but I don't attack people. We have made it about attacking people instead of attacking biblical issues and attacking the heart of, of what God wants in us. It says respect authority. You know what that means? Whether you think Biden is a good president, your president, a president, doesn't matter. He's the guy that sits in the chair. And you are absolutely unbiblical. Listen to me. Please don't run out of the church. Absolutely unbiblical if you're not praying for him. You, you are. As much effort as you would spend praying for the presidents you like, you, you better be praying just as much for the presidents you don't or the congressmen and women or the representatives because at the end of the day, what if it's your prayers that sends a believer into their life that gets them to know Jesus? Oh, we don't, my prayers don't have that. Your prayers don't have that effectiveness? James says that the, the prayers of a righteous person what happens when all of the Christians get on the same wavelength and start praying for their officials and their leaders and saying, God, break their hearts for the things that break yours? Cause revival to stir in the hearts of our, our men and women that lead this country. And God, if, if so, if, it, if you need me to stand where, where nobody else will be willing to stand, then, then send me and let me know. I will stand in the gap. We have organizations that, that have church at the, uh, the nation's capital and, and have seen salvation in in are men and women as much as I know it may be hard to believe. Um, but when people stand in the gap and we pray and we respect our authority and when they do wrong, they, they, they need to be held accountable, right? But it's a respectful way. It's a biblical way. And that's what I always want to be the church that isn't uh, party-lined, isn't uh, liberal conservative. I am biblical, because my home is not here. This, this, this land will one day fade away and I will be in heaven and I don't want God to go, well, conservative side's over there. No. It's my people who respected my word and my will and submitted and respected the authority but yet stood for biblical mandates. And then I love what he says in this section because he, it's, it's kind of where he goes from respect authority to you're, you're, you've got freedom, but you're a slave. And I love that. He says, you are free, yet you're God's slave, so don't use your freedom 
to excuse, as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love God, fear God, and respect the king. You're free, yet a slave. So use your freedom wisely. Use your boundaries wisely. Um, before I get to the very last third section, I, I, there's this amazing illustration about freedom that I love. And I probably shared it here before, but I, it's, it's just it's this beautiful example of, of what we consider freedom. They took 25 kids and they, they built a playground with no fences. And they told the kids, just go play. Just go play. And they watched them. Then they took another set of 25 kids and they took that same playground, but then they built a fence around it. And they said, go play. And they watched them. And you know what was interesting? Because they, 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 it was the exact opposite of what they thought would happen. They thought that the kids that didn't have any fences would be just buck wild kids, right? Like we would expect them to be. Just run around and, and you'd lose a kid. Like, what the heck? Where'd Johnny go? You know, but they didn't. The kids with no fence stuck to the nearness of the playground. The kids that were told to play but had a fence built around it, they used all of it. You want to know why? Because in their freedom, they had parameters to stay within. So Jesus says, you're free, but you're a slave to God. And a slave isn't a negative thing when you look at it, the connotation that God set up parameters for you to live in. And he says, hey, listen, this is the safe zone of your life. And if you live within this, man, you are never going to feel trapped. You're going to feel free, but you're going to know that you're safe. And so when the, when, when, when the scripture talks about keep bad words out of your mouth or do this or don't live unholy, it's not because God has a checklist that he's going, now this is what we're going to do when we get up to heaven, Matt. How many times did you cuss? How many times did you backtalk your wife? How many times did you get angry at your kids? Okay, well, did the good outweigh the bad? No, 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 no. He's going to say, hey, did you, did you accept me? Did you follow me? Did you live within the parameters of your freedom and trust the word of God and the will of God? Cool, welcome in my good and faithful servant. Because it is the parameters of his word that keep us safe. It is the parameters of his will that, quote unquote, he, they call enslave us. I'm a slave to the will of God. There's, there's far greater things that you could be a slave to. Far worse things, I should say, I'm sorry. Worst things that you could be a slave to. But when you're a slave to God, you don't even realize it because of the freedom that was with, is within that. I am not my own, and the purpose is to draw others to him by how I live. The, the third section of 1 Peter 2. So he talks about holiness. He talks about who we are. We, he talks about submitting to authority. And by the way, that isn't just political. It's also at your work. For, for some of you, you're like, I'm retired. Well, <laughs> I, I guess you work together with your husband and wife. Um, but it's, it's this respect aspect. I don't like my boss, but is he an authority of you? Do you pray for them? Do you pray for your coworkers? Do you pray for the, the customers that enrage you? <laughs> and listen, I worked retail. I was a manager at Olive Garden. I've, I've worked all sorts of different retail. I know what it's like to wish evil upon customers, Okay. But, but, do we pray for them? The last thing, the, the, the very last section in 1 Peter chapter 2 is he, he brings it back to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is our role model in sacrificial living. 
He ends 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins uh, in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And once you were like a sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. Sharish, you can come up. This last segment, to me, is the core. If we can get this, the other two will become easy. If we understand who Jesus is in our life, and we attach ourselves to the word and the will of God, then looking at man and, and respecting our authority, it becomes more natural. I, don't, I, I can sit up here and say, I don't like our president, but I pray for him. I can sit up here and say that policy-wise, I don't agree with most of anything that comes out of his mouth, if I can understand it. I'm sorry, Jesus, sorry. Cheap shots. But I pray that God would get a hold of him and his whole cabinet, and everybody in there. I pr- you know, and, and listen, can I say this? I also pray God use me in ways that would, would be a difference maker in the communities that I live in. I, I, I got to respect my mayor and my, my city council and, and, and my boss, the chief, right? I've got to respect these people, and I've got to honor them. And when we do that, God honors his people. I believe the reason why America has seen so much blessing and freedom and all of that is because of our foundational belief and understanding of him. And I do believe that we are going to turn a tide where that's not going to exist. I, I think to say the statement, God bless America, is, is a lie that we, we really can't even say. And you may not like that. It, that I, I listen, I know it goes against everything against our, our, our national thought process, right? Um, but how can God bless something that seems so anti-him? God, God, draw me back to your heart. God, draw me back to your ways. I, I may not be able to make decisions for my nation, but I, as a, an American, help me to center in your will and your ways for my life. Everywhere I go, I impact my culture and impact my circle. There's a show that I watch, um, and it, it talks about the th- your three feet. Control your three feet. Their whole, their whole world is, is, is their three feet. Listen, I, I can't tell you what happens in somebody else's three feet, but I, I can control my three feet. I can't control what Target does or Bud Light or the president or our governor. But in my three feet, I pray for them. In my three feet, I seek God. And when you get into my three feet, I want to leave an example that will hopefully change the way you see Jesus. And that's where he ends with 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Jesus is our example. He says, Christ is our example. You were called to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So tomorrow when you're faced with a struggle or Tuesday, depending on when you go back to work, 
Maybe in that moment you pause and you say, Jesus, give me your eyes to see it the way that you see it. Holy Spirit, give me the mindset to make decisions based off of how you want me to handle it. Because you're my example. And when Jesus was beaten and bloodied for me on the cross, he didn't turn around and grab a sword and go to fight. He let him pull his beard out. He let him whip him. Oh, he could have. The Bible says he could have called tens of thousands of angels down and, and protected him, but he didn't because he wanted to show us what sacrificial living looked like. He wanted to show us that, that even in suffering, there is blessing, and even in suffering, there is purpose. It is the greatest game of following the leader in our lives. We've got some teachers in our, in our church, and I, you know, I think of you know, how many teachers in their classroom, they go, okay, we're gonna play follow the leader, you know, or Simon Says. You know, and, and it's this moment where you see if they can follow direction. And somewhere along the line, we, we think that following direction and following the leader is, 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 is not okay. And, and, and God's saying, I am the ultimate game of follow the leader. I'm the ultimate game of, of doing what I've said. God said, well, but God, you don't understand them. I said, speak life. You don't, you, did you hear what they said or what they wrote about me or what they posted about me? I said, speak life. I said, choose life. I said, choose to go above their nastiness and the negativity and choose life. Christ's character is our calling. Christ's character. Not my character. I'm flawed. Not, not, not any other pastor or leader, not, not any, you know, I, I think part of where we get mixed up is we, we hold people to a standard that they were never meant to be held to. Only God was supposed to fill. And so instead of fulfilling the ultimate calling of Christ as our leader and his character, we choose to live for other people. And when they make mistakes, we feel lost. Christ's character is our calling, which means that we are to live sacrificially for others, live sacrificially for our families, live sacrificially at our workplaces, live sacrificially. It doesn't mean being a, 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 to walk over. It doesn't mean that you're to be stepped on in a doormat. It means that you just care about what other people are and who they th and, and what God is speaking to them. Lastly, probably the one of the most beneficial things in that set of scriptures are victory and healing is in Jesus. You are never meant to do it alone. You are never meant to do life alone. You are never meant to carry burdens alone. And you will never understand the value of people and the church until you realize that you can't do it on your own. That in everything that we find good in our culture, it's dealt with other people. Even gangs. Why do people join gangs? Because they want family. They want protection. They want to be cared for. They want to know that their three feet, aka typically where their sets are set up at, because they're named by the streets that they, that they live on, matter. From, from biker gangs all the way down to, to military and sports teams. 
We love that stuff because it makes us feel a part of something bigger than ourselves. God says, I created the church for that very purpose in the purest, most best form. That when you understand me, you understand that you have got a family that you have gathered together to do life with. Let's pray. I just wonder and curious, maybe you're walking through it this week. Maybe you're looking at the week ahead and you, you see some things that could be a struggle. And as 1 Peter 2 talks about living holy and choosing to live after Jesus, choosing to be connected to the chief cornerstone and not allowing our sinful desires to draw us in to a life that doesn't look like him. Maybe you're sitting there saying, Pastor, I just, I just need prayer this week. As I go through these struggles and these trials, I just want to know who, that I could be praying for you. If that's you, amen, amen, amen. God, I pray for our church people that have raised their hand, and God, you know their heart, you know their desires, you know their needs. God, whether it's mental, maybe they're just battling their mindset. That God, 1 Peter 2, 9 would be spoken over them. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. designed with a purpose for a purpose to make a difference in the world around them. Maybe just by sharing love with somebody, just sharing a word of, of, of God's message to them. Maybe just by getting around people that care for you. Maybe you're sitting here and your whole mindset has been flipped. You've had a real negative thought process about authority. And that God's working that out. God, I pray that you would, you would work that out. God, Convict each and every one of us that, that doesn't treat authority properly. Not just the ones we like, but the ones we don't like. Whether it's in politics or work. That God, that we would hold authority in the honor of your word, not of who they are. Help us to pray for them. God, help us to hold a biblical standard and a, and a, and a, and a biblical standard uh, uh, stand for, for the things that your word says, but God, to do it in an honorable way. And God, I pray Christ is your example. Walk in his footsteps. Walk in his word. Walk in his will. God, I pray that you would challenge us to get in your word and to, to study what is it that you would say to us, God, through how Jesus lived how he spoke to, to the people that didn't like him, how he treated the unlovable, how he cared for the people that he encountered. That we would live sacrificially to your will. That tomorrow and Tuesday and, and Thursday and every day in between, God, we would wake up and we would filter our life through your Holy Spirit and say, Father, help us to make an impact in my three feet. Somebody would recognize your goodness because of how I live. God, bless us, but bless us to be a blessing. Open doors to speak of your goodness to the world around us. And God, I pray that we would have a fantastic week as we go and we do our best to live out your will. Father, we love you. We thank you and give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. 